This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, welcome to the Literary Briefs edition of Drinking with Authors. I am your host today, and today we have a very special thing due to what happened in the last episode due to technical difficulties, but I have two co-hosts. Um, it's Vanessa Valiente and J.M. Paquette. Woo! Okay. And our guest today is T. Allen Diaz. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Let's talk about what we're drinking. I am still drinking my, I had several cans here, peach, mango, Angry Orchard, it's really, really ridiculously yummy. And I did not put whiskey in it, just in case anybody's asking. Vanessa, what are you drinking? Uh, vodka soda, but I practically drained this, so I may be switching to water because of my internet woes over here, but... I don't know. I think a few more shots might help with that internet. Gosh. Okay, JM, what boring thing are you putting in your face because you can't drink alcohol? I have lime bubbly. Yeah, not boring. Okay. T. Allen, what are you drinking? Because it's amazing, and I'm super excited about this. I just poured the last of my uh, Viking blood into my cup, so I'm. This is all I have. This is all I have left. Mead, yes, Viking blood. That's awesome. Buy that at any grocery store because I'm not gonna lie, that just is my complete aesthetic right there. I'm gonna go to our Lukens because he said ABC Liquor. I'm gonna go find it at Lukens, Vanessa, for us. I already Uh, wrote it down. It's already happening. Oh, okay. Uh, I will say that I get it. I get mine at the Total Wine. I did say ABC. I'm pretty sure they have it, but I get mine at Total Wine. Oh, Total Wine. Sorry. Either way, I can go locate this for us and make it ever-present in a future episode. They're both good, but I do do recommend the the black bottle and the white bottle, but they're both really good. Mm-hmm. We're gonna. I will try it. We'll try both bottles and maybe try it several times to see how much we like it. Several times. <laughs> Not Jen. Jen can look I'll, at it. I'll sniff it oh, and imagine. It is good. It is good stuff. No doubt about it. Okay, we are about to do rapid fire questions, and you have yes. to host, so this is going to be good because we're just going to go around. Okay, the first rapid fire question is: What is your favorite book of all time? <sighs> You know, I studied for this test, but I still, uh, no. Um, we have you drink while you study for this test? You yes. Like that? That, yes. The drinking does, does interfere with the, uh, does interfere with the, uh, the cognitive. Uh, no, but I would have to say uh, my favorite book, I'm going to make it a series and it's not going to be in genre. It's actually my favorite classic is probably Robert Penn Warren's uh, All the King's Men, but if I was going to pick, if I was going to pick a, uh, something more current, I would have to say I am a huge Dennis Lehane fan, and I love his Patrick Kinsey series. And I hide now. You got to put your big boy and big girl pants on if you're going to read it because he does cover some issues. But I highly recommend a drink before the war. Very appropriate for drinking with authors. I'm just saying, a drink before the war, and um, a darkness take my hand. Those are the first two books in that series. I think they are perfect. Detective Noir, modern setting in uh, uh, Boston, set in Boston. And I think it's a fantastic series. It's, it's my favorite. So cool. that would be my favorite. If have, you studied for this test, you know what? The, okay, oh, go ahead. Dad. I just want to add, have you read Until Gwen, his short story, Second Person? I have not, actually, which it's, is very bad of me. But no, I have not. I just, I, 
it's so rare to read a story in second person that works. And Dennis mm-hmm. Lehane's Until Gwen is so good. Oh, I may have to check it out. I I have read Shutter Island, and I think that's kind of because I find that I don't latch on to authors so much as I latch on to stories and character and series. And I Shutter Island was good. There's nothing wrong with it. I just it didn't connect with me. I did the read the whole thing. Is that the same what? one as the movie mm-hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio? Okay, because I never read any of his books, so. He, and that is a very true movies. adaptation. That is a very yeah. true adaptation to the book. Very good. Okay. Very well done. Mystic River is the other one, right? Yes, and he does Gone Baby Gone. Gone Baby Gone is the one that got me into his. Uh, I can't imagine three of his books were made into movies, but he actually did. They do Coronado also. I think they did that also. That didn't yeah. do so well, but they did do that movie. Um, but yeah, so he did Gone Baby Gone, which that is the fourth, I think, book in the Patrick Kinsey series. But uh, yeah, that that book. So I would recommend that you read the books. Though the books are absolutely incredible, I highly recommend. Them. Okay, and now if you've studied for this test, you know the follow-up question. I think it's my least favorite book. Yeah. Mm. See, I knew I was going to have a tough time with this because I have a rule. I don't have enough time in the day to read books I don't like. So if you've lost me, I'm, you're gone. The, I guess the book that will stand out that I was like, I tried and I just can't do this book. Stephen King, they called the stuff on the ground Ripley. It was moss-like stuff. And I Dream. tried to read that book. And I just Dream said, Catcher. Dream Catcher. And I just said, mm, I'm out. So that would be probably the one that I really tried to read. Uh, and I just couldn't. So Stephen King is, I grew up on his stuff, but I love his old stuff. This is newer stuff sometimes for me is a little hit or miss. So yeah, I'll have to put Dreamcatcher in that category. Okay. Jen, question. Um, do you listen to music when you write? I do listen to music when I write. Words or no words? Uh, depends. I am much more productive without words. Um, but I do like my Sabaton. So sometimes there are words involved or ACDC or that's, I have a more tame also, but it's a, who's it's a, it's a combination, um, of bands and, or I listen to, I like to listen to just, uh, soundtracks, uh, movie soundtracks or the 1812 overture or whatever's going on. Many different options. Very cool. Vanessa? Thank you. Okay. I would say, do you handwrite or do you type your stories? Computer. It's all on a computer. I actually use, I've taken to using, for those those authors out there, uh, I do recommend, and it has been very good to me, Plotter. I'm actually able to run two stories at a time now. And maybe as I up my game, I might be able to do, my hope is to be able to be working on three or four at a time. I'm retired, so I can do that. And that's what I really want to do. Then you have that laundry list of things you have to do while you're retired. So I do. I do have that. Yes, that does happen. But my, my hope is to, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a dream. My dream is to get up at five in the morning and write until about noon and split that up between about four or five stories and then do some business stuff on the back end ads, writing my fans on email, dealing with that kind of stuff, and then um, do that stuff in the afternoon. That's what that's if, the dream. How many um, words, when you sit down, just say you had that um, 
dream. The dream mm -hmm. came true. Um, and you were writing from five to say noon. How many words do you think you could get done in that time? Right now, my about what I'm good for a day is about 3,000 words right now. Um, I can burn through five grand a day on a good day. Um, my hope, though, is if through some I'm hoping to be able to make have you heard of Chris Fox? I'm sure maybe you guys know who Chris Fox is. He has this writing thing called writing sprints. I'm sure he's not the only one to advocate it, but he's the one that's introduced me to, it to me. Yeah. And um, it's, it's all about getting in the flow state and doing what you got to do um, in, in, a, in a set time where you sit down and you make yourself right. You don't worry about correcting things. You don't fix names. You don't fix parentheses or punctuation or any of that stuff. And you just write the words and then you go back and edit later. And he's 5,000 words an hour. He says, I cannot do that yet, but I can do about a thousand words an hour. So in six hours, I could conceivably get six or well, seven hours. I could conceivably get about 7,000 words. Uh, at, How many words would that be for 5,000 words per hour? How much typing would you have to be able to uh, He, his advocate, he advocates like doing an hour a day of writing. And just doing the 5,000 words in an hour and having the rest of the day. Uh, and I, I don't know if you could actually put together, a, I don't know if you could put together seven hours of putting, burning through that many words a day. I don't, I don't know that you could do it. And I don't know that, to me, quality is very important. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But I, I would like to see in a perfect world between five and 7,000 words a day. That would be, I would be good with that. And um, if I could do 10 and not affect the quality of the stories that I'm writing, eh, I'd be good with that too. That's fine with me. But that seems going to need to work my way up there and see how that works out because that, that's, that's a, from my experience, that's a tall order. We'll see how that's that works. a very tall order. The math yeah. doesn't even work out on that order. He must be like burning his fingertips off typing. I think it's like, like a, I mean, I, I, I don't remember. I think it's a hundred words an hour or a minute. I think it's a hundred words a minute. I know, but I'm like, okay, anyway, I can't. Yeah, I, it's cool. I, do that math. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to do it right now either. But the, he he swears by it, and he's able to make it work. He's done some really – he's been very successful, so good for him. I don't – I'm going to try my hand at it, but I'm probably going to do something modified. I feel like that's one of those things where, you know, it's always good to try different people's processes, but if it doesn't work for you, that has no indication that you're a failure. It just means you're – brain is wired differently than someone else's and you just have to right. do a different process to get to the end right. uh but i'm always amazed when i hear stuff about people like yeah i wrote ten thousand words in one day i'm like i'll be lucky if i can get that in a month you know and yeah. so <laughs> you yeah know? <laughs> but yeah i i agree with you that's uh, that's a tall order for me i i don't know that i could do five thousand words an hour or even ten thousand ten thousand words a day would be nice but i thought seven I think 7,500 is my record. And I did that in like, I got up at seven in the morning and I went to bed at 10 o'clock at night and I did nothing but write all day or any. Wow. So what about your writing. Um, I, I call them our little writing issues. The little things that we find ourselves doing that our editors and stuff are like, stop having everybody shrug. Like, do you have specific writing? I say that cause that's a gen problem. Do you, um, uh, have any specific things that you find yourself doing that are a little? I have a lot of long, I have a lot of, what is it? 
I've gotten good at spotting them. There's a couple of them. One of them has something to do with uh, long pauses, the way that I put several seconds past, or, you know, I do a lot of that kind of like filler. Um, so I try to, oh, uh, that's that's a pause. Let's see if we can figure something else. So I, I sometimes will have them. Um, I'll sometimes will have my. I like to infuse action into my dialogue so that I'm not doing. He said, she said, she said, he said, he. And I'm a big. I'm not big on ly ever. So I I try to boil it down and I try to infuse some action. So I long pause and that kind of stuff. So. You know that those those things kind of have to go away, and I or I have to find more creative ways doing those. That's my number one. I probably have others, but that's that's the one that comes to mind in my mead soap condition right now. That's the one that that's the one that I can remember. I like that you called it a mead soap condition, uh, Jen. What is the next question for the person in the mead soap condition? Do you prefer reading paper books or on a screen? What do I see now? That's not fair because I prefer paper books. What I do in practice these days, however, is I do a lot more reading because uh, on my phone or on my tablet, I have a I have a Kindle and I ha I have the app on my phone. And well, I, yeah, I'll say unfortunately, there's nothing wrong with it because it's where I make my money. But I really miss paper books, and I really like having them but I don't like carrying them everywhere I go. And I like being able to go, you know, I'm not into this book. Let's see, this book works and I can change gears without a lot of, and so there's a lot of convenience there, but I, I've read a lot of studies that say that your brain does process it differently when it reads it on paper versus electronics. So there is value in reading it on paper. I think it's also the same way when you handwrite versus type. They say that you, when you handwrite something, you internalize and you think thing, you know, you think the process differently than you are if you're just going right through the, you know, the keyboard. Mm -hmm. I could see where that would be true. Yeah, and reading a paper book is the tactile experience of the pages and the smell, right. and your memory is so tied to smell that you're more likely to remember. Can I have a follow up question? Sure. Follow up. When, <laughs> when you do read paper books, do you treat them very carefully or will you crack the spine and write them? No, I, I am very nice to my paper books. Like I don't bend them in half. I don't, I, I, someone once said bookmark or fold. I, I, I actually remember the page number. So I'll look down and I'll read the page number. I'll close the book and I'll come back. Um, sometimes I'll walk around with a bookmark in place. That also does happen. But, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, I, I take better care of my paperback books, of my paper books than I do, than some other people might put it that way. Oh, no, I'm terrible with my paperback books unless they're ones from an author friend or something, because mm -hmm. I'm like, I read them and then I give them to other people or put them in lending libraries and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, unlike some people on this call, not going to mention names. I am not a keep it secret, keep it safe kind of person with my books. I'm like, here, they should, this should be shared with other people. I, I write all over them and then I keep them. Well, listen, I, they're very special to me. They used to be, I, I finally had to let some of them go because there were just too many in my house. And my wife was like, hey, listen, um, uh, we're going to move. We moved our, we moved our, our 
our house. And she, she was like, well, it wasn't really her. We agreed that we needed to have downsized the amount of junk that we kept. And unfortunately, a lot of books made the junk category, which makes me sad, but mm, probably so. Because if I've had those books for however many years and haven't read them, and that unfortunately does happen for me anyway, um, yeah, I kind of had to let some of them go. You're, okay, you're going to have to find some better, someplace else to work. I had to send them all. <laughs> so. And now, Seth, what about you? Next. Okay, I feel like I don't think we've ever asked this question, but do you? Well, I'm a lot have, of firsts today. Yeah, I feel I, something just came to mind because of that question. Do you own a book that's like a special edition or a first, like rare edition or something that's like you spent money on to have this copy? You know, there's something special about it. Do you have anything like that? That's Timothy like, Zahn's, Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire. Uh, I don't know if you call it director's edition, but he, with his footnotes. And I have that signed by the legendary Timothy Zahn, who, in case, I don't know if we did this off air, I totally fanboyed about Timothy Zahn. He's, he's the only author I've ever done that with. And uh, he wrote Heir to the Empire, which was one of my absolute favorite Star, I, I, it is still canon to me, right? I know, I know Disney says differently, but Disney and I are going to have words about that because Timothy Zahn's books are incredible. And um, uh, I have the heir to the empire with all of his notes on where he came up with the different ideas and, and, and some of that stuff. And, and I have that and I have it uh, signed by him and uh, I will kill people to, to protect it. I would do that. Absolutely. It's your Gutenberg Bible. Good to know. Yes. Good to know. Yes. yes. But do you have death. one of those books? Do I? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I. Yeah, I do. Uh. Well, okay. I'm like a person that if I love a book and it's really, if I really love it, I'll spend money on like a special edition. And <laughs> I, I love, like I have books just like that to have uh, footnotes or like uh, written in the margins of uh, the author coming out with their inspiration. I don't have one, I have more than one. I just have way too many. I didn't realize how many books I had until I moved in March and then I had to move it. And then all my movers were complaining about what was in these boxes. And the amount of hardback books I own is absolutely ridiculous. And people will not refuse now to move me ever again. They, uh, they're like, yeah. no, because they, their body hurts. Like at the end of the day, after carrying all these books, but yeah, I have a, a book buying problem. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I used to be a lot worse than I am, but uh, but yeah, I, I love books, and I buy a lot of. I also buy a lot of nonfiction. So not only am I a fiction, you know, reader, but I, I mean, I'll go. What Napoleon's greatest battles? Give me that. I'm going <laughs> over. I'm I'm on my way. Or, you know, I'm a huge Civil War. The American Civil War is still probably, I could, not to be a modest, but I could probably, I could hang with a lot of college professors in the American Civil War. Um, Have you ever at done least the, at least the military campaigns I could. Um, Have you ever so. done a reenactment from that? I have not. I, I did have some interest. Oh, I've been to one, but I have not been a reenactment. Uh, I've been to Olusti, which is up in North Florida a few times. Um, that's really it. I have stood on the battlefield of Beaver Dam Creek, 
which is the first, the opening moves Robert E. Lee made after he took over the Army in Northern Virginia in June of 62. So you can call, politics aside, I'm not going to discuss the politics because, but the, when Robert E. Lee took command of the Army of Northern Virginia in June of 1862 is absolutely one of the greatest military reversals ever in the history of humankind. I, I challenge someone to find another one. Uh, uh, it is it is impressive. They, the war should have been over in June of 1862, and it went on until April of 65. And, um, you know, I'm not going to defend their politics. I'm not going to say that they no, – none of that stuff. I don't buy into the antebellum stuff. But uh, you cannot take away from the military prowess of Robert E. Lee and, and Stonewall Jackson and James Longstreet when they were all working together. And they, that was pretty impressive. Now, of course, it does help that McClellan was an idiot. But anyway, uh, we don't want to get too far into that. But, yeah, I, I'm a huge, huge uh, Civil War book. And, you know, I like to talk. So. Very cool. Jan? Um, do you read more than one book at a time? I am right now. Um, I, so I'm, read, I, I'm reading one and listening to another. So I count that. I don't know if you do, but I count that. So I'm listening to Game of Thrones again. And I'm taking back some of my once limited criticism of George R. R. Martin. I think the guy is amazing. Did you um, know George R. R. Martin is a pantser? So Melinda Snodgrass be, is one of his best be friends. No, I'm not kidding. Not kidding. George that's R. R. Martin crazy. is a full-on 1,000% pantser. That's that, so I mean, sense. that explains now why that explains now why we're still waiting on the winds of winter. But uh, that's also impressive. That is, I mean, that's, uh, that's impressive. I was once a pantser, um, but I just don't think it for me. I don't think, I honestly don't think if you're going to tell big stories, I don't know how you make that work. I mean, that's what, what broke me of that was war of the gods was what broke me of, of being a pantser more than any, more than anything. And um, I, I, I don't know how you'd write a, book like that's that's a whole new level of genius i didn't know that that's crazy no, oh, it, that blew me away because obviously i'm also one of those people that's waiting for that book to come out but i'm a pantser and i but i write the genres that are totally fine to be a pantser and i write horror and mm -hmm. i write chick lit erotica and romance right. like i can pants to the literally <laughs> cows come up but um you know, like Vanessa, Jen, they have high fantasy. They have this whole thing. They have to do world building and stuff like that. I don't have to necessarily do world building because I can use modern world for both of my stories. Right. A few tweaks here and there, but it's not like the end of the world for my stuff. But I, I agree with you. I couldn't write a high fantasy book. Could probably get away with a high fantasy short story, but a high fantasy book without world building or notes or something on what the hell I was doing. Because there are rules, sci-fi, you know, even mm -hmm. in pulp worlds, like you talked about, your books have a, a degree of pulp to them. There are rules, and you have to track those rules. Otherwise, you throw your readers out of the story. Yeah, you're 100 right. And but I mean, to to have the the lore that he has behind his books, and to be completely a pantser, that is that's a legendary right there. But again, maybe that's why we're not seeing uh, Winds of Winter. And and that may explain that may explain some of the fourth book, which is I, I kind of stopped reading in the fourth book. And 
And, well, uh, and I think, you know, to his credit or not credit, I think a lot of people don't realize, like, Game of Thrones is not the only thing this person writes. No, you're right. That's, he writes that's fair. On a TV and all kinds of things. You know? He was a big Star Trek writer. Didn't he do, wasn't he a staff writer for Star Trek? Yeah. Like, he's done a, a bunch of stuff. And I think that, you know, who knows what's happening with that book. At this point, I, I don't know how I feel as an author with having something get as big as this thing has gotten. Yeah, yeah he couldn't and make everybody happy. It's impossible. You're never going to, like, you can't mm -hmm. win. This book will not win. So yeah. how do you do this book? And I can understand that alone of how do you want to end this? Like, where does it go? Because we all know where they took it in season eight was not the way it needed to go. Okay. No. So. What is your favorite pulp book? Ooh, pulp book. That's a good question. Uh, I have to think about that one. Um, if we're not going to count Lahane as pulp, I don't know that I would. Um, Do we consider altered carbon pulp? Um, it's it's the first one is actually very noir. Um, as a matter of fact, I did not read I did not read altered carbon before I read Lunatic City, and when I read altered carbon, I thought, "Holy crap!" There's a lot of similarities. It's not being immodest, but I was like, "Really?" He does a lot of stuff I don't, but I was like. The themes and the, the and the feel of these two stories are very similar. Uh, I I would have to go with um, pulp. I've read a bunch of them, but I would have to be honest. Um, I get the vibe and the feel, but the titles are not terribly memorable. If that makes sense to you, you know what I'm saying. So I would have to say uh, I read a couple of. I, you know what? The Maltese Falcon. I think that's considered. I think that's considered pulp. And I really did enjoy the Maltese Falcon. I could. I could put a name on that. I really did enjoy. Have you guys read the Maltese? I've never seen the movie. Have you read the? Have you read the book? I've read the I've book. Seen the, seen the movie. I, I really enjoyed the book. It had a cast of characters. It had a legitimate mystery. Um, the the um, uh, purists will tell you it's not noir and it's fine. But it was a it was a really good crime book. I really enjoyed it, and I think that will be my favorite pulp. That's my pick. Is there any genre you feel like I never want to write that genre? Do you ever? Because a lot of us can want to write multi-genre things, but is there a mm -hmm. genre that you even attempted and went no? I've never attempted, but. Um, you're probably never going to see me write erotica. And, you know, I have comedic beats in my stories, but I don't think I could ever pull off comedy. Like, not beyond, like, maybe some dark comedy here. And like, like I said, you could do, I could do it to lighten up the mood or, or whatever, but um, I don't think that comedy, you know, Comedy is not my thing. Imagine that the dark guy, the guy who writes dark, gritty fiction, can't write comedy. But that—that's probably those two. And, and I gotta tell you, on a diff, slightly different, I think it is such a cool skill that some of these people have these very small humanistic stories. Like, I've lost my job and I have to figure out how to survive, and make that a compelling story for like three hundred pages. 
that's a talent I do not have. And I am very impressed. I'm like, the stakes are huge, right? They're very personal. And, but how do you keep that going for 300 pages? I, I, I am in awe of the people that can do that. And I don't think you'll see me do that. No, I agree. It's, it's absolutely a skill. Jen. You never said what, what's the other book you're reading? Oh, I'm sorry. So I'm listening to Game Over of Thrones. has to get us back on page. And I'm reading oh, Prince like, of Thorns. Back in the box. <laughs> yes, let's stay. Stay in the lane. Stay in your lane. Hey, you drunks, come back here. So, um, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm reading Prince of Thorns, which is also a fantasy. Um, it's a first person. I forget who writes it, but um, it's not. It's really good. It's dark. Um, it's told in a first person, which is a little bit different than most of your typical fantasies. I, I mean, I've seen fantasies written in first person before, but um, so far it's pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. So, but I'm chipping away at night at like 10 pages a night. That's about what I got for time, but that's about what I do. So, Very cool. Vanessa, believe it or not, the last question is befalling unto your gorgeous face. All right. Uh, best book to movie or book TV adaption? I studied for this one, and I can okay. tell it to you. Okay. Uh, Gettysburg. Gettysburg, which is a film adaptation of Killer Angels. The book oh. is phenomenal. The movie, as my wife and children will tell you, four and a half hours of bliss. So um, I love it. Uh, they do cut some stuff out of the movie, obviously, even at four and a half hours. Um, but it is a fantastic read, and it is a fantastic uh, um, translation onto film. I think it's really, really good. Now, I think, to be fair, four and a half hours is the director's cut. I think the regular one came in at four, 410 or 415, but still four hours, north of four hours. Wow. So. Okay. Was there another question you studied for we didn't ask you? Um, I think worst film adaptation, which is pretty much any Stephen King movie made before, uh, I don't know, um, uh, It, Chapter One, pretty much all of those suck. But did you, did you see that? the new stand? What'd you think? I, I have not. I do not have, was it Paramount Network? I didn't think I did. I found out, I guess I do, but I didn't think I had it. Um, so I, I have not watched it. I, I was a little sad that Matthew McConaughey was not going to be the, uh, what's his name? The man, the dark the man. man of, the, the man of the black. Man of black. Yeah. Yes. Walter. Yes. Well, sometimes yeah. Walter. Sometimes. Yeah. I was kind of, I was kind of, I was kind of bummed about that, but I, I would check it out. Um, I might now that I found out just the other day, cause my wife was watching, uh, what's the name of that show? Why women kill. And I'm like, when did this happen? Why, how do we have Paramount? And so apparently we have Paramount now. And um, so now that we do, maybe I will check it out. But uh, no, I haven't looked at it yet. I haven't watched it yet. Part one, do you mean the Tim Curry part one or the new part mm, one? Good question. Chapter one, the one that they made uh, most recently. That was, the chapter one was pretty good. The chapter two, eh, it was okay. But chapter one was- I love Tim Curry's it, I have to say. Besides the monster at the end, that was a whole separate thing. But I thought they got a lot of really good actors in that particular they one did. versus some of the other ones that were written. Mm -hmm. I thought that one was actually pretty well done. Well, I, okay. I feel like I have to ask one more question. Do you feel like Dr. Sleep did better at telling The Shining, even though I know that's like after The Shining, since like 
I know Stephen King hates the movie The Shining, that it's uh-huh. not anywhere close to Stanley the Stanley Kubrick, yes. Do you feel Dr. Sleep did better at trying to explain what The Shining is? So the answer to that question is I'd have to see Dr. Sleep to say. Oh. Not. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of I kind of fell out of love with a lot of Stephen King's movies because after we're going way, way back. Needful Things is a great book. The movie is terrible. And after enough of that, you know, it became fool me five times, shame on you, but fool me six, shame on me. So, uh, you know, I've seen Cujo, I've seen Carrie, I've seen Shining, I've seen... Um, uh, Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Uh, I haven't Dark, seen the new Pet Dark Cemetery. Tower. I have not seen Dark Tower. And so, Matthew McConaughey. Bad for me. Bad. Yeah, that's true. But bad for me, um, I did not get into the Dark Tower, the book, to be honest with you. Um, I know, terrible, bad guy. But I love them. I tried. I tried, but it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't, eh, it was just like, eh, okay, I'm in New York now, and now I'm some faraway land, and now I, I hate jumping around. I, I hate that. It builds, and the more you read of his other books, the more it all ties together. You're like, oh, okay, so this book is connected to yeah. that story and that place and this one. So it's it's a good, like, quilt. I believe it is. I, I mean, Stephen King is talented, let's be honest. I grew up reading him, so I have no issues with – I'm not disputing his quality – um, but I am not that patient of a reader. I, I, we were saying before, I got, I got things to do and I got other books on the list. So if this ain't doing it for me, I'm moving on. And, uh, you know, hopefully I, I think that shapes some of my writing philosophies too. I try to keep it moving, but you know, I understand what we were talking about before. I don't begrudge people that don't like my stuff, but at the same time, I don't feel like, yeah, this book's not doing it for me. Just like the Ripley book. I'm like, nah, I tried, this isn't working. So, but I will say that um, the Dark Tower had a little more to offer. It just was a little too slow and a little too, like I said, at one moment I'm in New York City, at present day, and the next minute I'm on some wasteland walking through the desert. I'm like, mm, you're losing me here, Steve. I can't, I can't, I can't keep this up. I can't figure this out. So, well, I can save you some time. The other Pet Cemetery movie, although a good movie, is also not. Pulling the true story from the Pet Cemetery book. Yeah, that, that's a good book, though. Pet Cemetery. It's, it's a good fantastic book. book, but they miss the mark because they focus so much on the gauge part of that situation and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, like, yeah, I could see that. And it's hard. It's hard to make. I mean, even Game of Thrones, right? I, I have seen the first two seasons. They're okay. Um, the, the the sex scenes to me, even though yeah, he, he some of that feels a little gratuitous if you ask me. But um, the big thing is the scope. The, uh, when I'm reading Game of Thrones, it's like the hall is huge and there's it's gigantic and there's all this stuff going on, and then it's like a little play stage, and you're like, I understand why you had to do that for economic reasons, but this ain't the freaking this ain't. This isn't the world in my in my brain, and it's really hard to do that. I, I I completely understand, but I just I I never completely got into Game of Thrones the show because of those very understandable, but they were limitations I just couldn't live with because I, I it it's I've already got it wasn't Game of Thrones to me. It was like yeah, this is like a something different. It's not Game of Thrones. 
if that makes sense okay. to you guys. I know we're talking. No, it's fine. It's fine. But we have to wrap up, which is unpleasant, but we will have you again on this show. Okay. So before you go in your drunken state, tell everybody how to find you. So you can find me at tiallandias.com. I'm on Facebook, tiallandias on Facebook. Um, those are the places to find me. Um, Twitter. Uh, I technically have a presence that I will like, if I've got something like for this, I'll probably promote this on Twitter, but, but to be there I, in any consequence, that's not me. I'm okay. Not a, and, and then finally, what advice would you give to authors out there? Ooh, advice is always tough, but I will tell you this, uh, write every day, um, learn your craft, um, and then you've got to, you know, you're going to have to figure out whether you want to be an indie or you want to go traditional, or if you want to be hybrid, all those things, you got to figure that out. And once you figure that out, then that's a completely different thing. But if you don't create a product that people want to read, if you don't learn your craft, you don't learn the skills of writing, none of that's going to matter. So learn, read up on right on the craft of writing, write every single, every single day, even when you have a bunch of honeydews and your life has no order, write every single day. And, um, and, and you will get better at it. That, that just will happen as long as you approach it honestly and you're willing to be self-critical and, and, and those things, you've got to be honest with yourself, but you can get better at it. It's just a matter of practice. That's my Very advice. cool. I like that very much. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. We really appreciate having you here for several firsts. Obviously, we have learned. You had to you had to bust out several just for me, and I'm honored. It was but, if, but if I come on again, we're going to have to have a list of more firsts. I'm going to need some okay. more. I can get other co-hosts on here. We can just have uh, and you know, four keg stand. I feel stand. Like, like a keg stand before we start the show. I don't know. I mean, I feel okay, like we have to volunteer for a keg stand. We will record it. It's in place. <laughs> We're gonna have it. I, I consider that. I consider that a binding contract. I do yeah. too. It is a binding contract. Yeah. Okay, guys. This has been drinking with authors. Literary briefs. Our guest has been T. Alan Diaz, and I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-hosts have been J. M. Paquette and Vanessa Valiente, and we will see you next time. <laughs>